it's Thursday, and you are listening to yet another episode of Days of the New. I am Kevin, as always, joined by Nick. How you doing, Nick? Hey, I'm all right. I've had uh, I've had better weeks, so my voice doesn't sound uh, top notch. That's because I had my sinus cavities purged by balloons, and uh, apparently, I had like weird polyps that had to be removed. And uh, yeah, I'm in day two of recovery from that. Oh, good God, it's yeah, uh, getting old's a real bitch. Yeah, man. God, polyps. It's a, it's a bad week for balloons. It's yeah. just uh yeah, yeah, yeah. I had Chinese spy balloons floating <laughs> around my sinus cavities. <laughs> Joe Biden shot him down though, so we're we're fine. Sleepy Joe got him. Yeah, man. No, I feel you. It's been uh it was kind of a shit week for me. I uh finally took a mental health day on Friday. It did me a lot of good. Although I guess like the whole thing about, you know, I, I realized as I'm telling my coworkers, like, I gotta take a mental health day. What I'm really doing is like ruining the element of surprise. Wait, wait what do you mean? Now they're like, Oh, he's letting a little steam out of the kettle. Like, oh yeah. I want them all thinking like, is today the day? <laughs> now that's gone. That's gone. But I do feel better. Now I'm about to make us feel much, much worse. Nick, do you like movies? Yeah, naturally. As, as a human American, I do like film. Well, I've decided to dedicate the next hour of our audio medium to talk about the visual medium of film. Great. This went really good with our Linkin Park video episode. Maybe our least listened to show. <laughs> That was a really bad idea. <laughs> uh, but I feel like we've learned from that. And just to help kind of shepherd us through this, we are once again joined by resident cinephile and friend of the show, Mogan Brown. Mogan, welcome back. Hey, guys. What's up, man? Yeah, how you been? Ah, uh, been all right. Been all right. Done some stuff since we last chatted. Toured with some bands and uh, also been not working. So, yeah, been all right. Excellent. So, uh, Kevin, I must say, uh, I, I have not uh, had a drop of alcohol in three days, um, which is, you know, probably a multi-year record. So, uh, <laughs> I did, I did watch this movie sober. I, I have been sober since I watched this movie, and uh, I feel like I need a drink. <laughs> oh God! Are you allowed to doctor's orders? Can you, like, you know, have a little tipple? Uh, I think I'm, I think I'm clear today, but it's, a, it's a little early, so I'm just gonna, I, I might just ride this out for a little while longer. We'll see. <laughs> oh God, bless you, man. I have uh, a kombucha. There's like a tiny bit of alcohol in this, right? Uh, let's see how many kombuchas it'll take to get you through this. <laughs> okay, so most listeners of this show already know that, along with being the vocalist of Limp Biscuit and Soviet sleeper agent, Fred Durst is a director. Fred broke into directing all the way back in 1997 with the Limp Biscuit video Sour, which I had no idea really existed until researching this. Basically, it's like good old fashioned domestic violence slut shaming. Oh, uh, yeah. No. Yeah, you've got Fred and random girl arguing in a bedroom. Pack your shit and leave. And I think Tony Hawk is this gardener. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a, it opens with this weird ass gardener who gets like a whole introduction scene. And at the very end of it, he turns on the sprinklers. This woman's trying to leave and Fred and the gang and the gardener are like, <laughs> got that bitch. Like <laughs> all she's trying to do is get out of there. That was his first uh, try at cinema. You're very kind with that statement. <laughs> <laughs> So from that first video, Fred went all in. He directed videos for the whole gang. To name a few, he did Corn's Falling Away From Me. He did Stain's It's Been A While. And every Limp Biscuit video. He's done them all. That's a quick way to get double paid. <laughs> yeah, right? It's also the opportunity to experiment, try, fail, and try again with fairly large budgets and no fear of repercussions. Honestly, that's what allowed him to refine his uh, directorial skills. Well, sure. And he was the vice president of Interscope Records. So who was going to tell him no? He was like the final decision maker. Yeah, exactly. And if even if he made a piece of shit video, is TRL just not going to play the new Limp Biscuit video? The 2000s were full of piece of shit videos. Yeah. We cover them all the time on this show. As far as a piece of shit video goes, I think that the Limp Biscuit catalog, it's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose rolling on the 9-11. <laughs> yeah, okay, so that one didn't age well. Basically, what I'm saying is that to his credit, he is good at the format. He knows how to bring across the personalities of the individual musicians, and some of the videos are funny and others are dark and brooding, but 
He has range and he has an eye for detail. Now, that's the bread of this compliment sandwich, because he also did the video for the the cover of The Who's Behind Blue Eyes, where he makes out with Halle Berry, and she deserves an Oscar and a herpes test for that performance. <laughs> Do you remember that one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, as if the song wasn't bad enough. Like, I wonder what Halle Berry got paid for that video. It was a movie tie-in, wasn't it? Yeah. Swordfish? No, 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 this was after Swordfish. This was, um, what was it called? Gothica? Or, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. That- it was. Nothing says gothic like the who. <laughs> and Limp Bizkit. <laughs> Fred would get his break directing feature length films in 2007 with the film The Education of Charlie Banks. Jesse Eisenberg, Jason Ritter, Christopher Marquette, Ava Amuri. Sebastian Stan in a film by Fred Durst. You can have a head full of the best ideas, but if you can't make the right moves in the world, they're worthless. I have no idea what the fuck this movie is about. Pretty good cast, though. Yeah. Yeah. You got Jesse Eisenberg and the Winter Soldier. Yeah, and uh, uh, Susan Sarandon's daughter. Is that really? Yeah, that's where Eva Murray is. Oh, I didn't know that. Kind Kind of a babe at that time. Uh, so it won Tribeca Film Festival's Best New Narrative, and it got a limited theatrical release where it grossed $15,000 against a $5 million budget. <laughs> God, it must be nice to be rich. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the reviews are split on. It currently holds a 48% score on Rotten Tomatoes. And at the time, Rolling Stone called it an earnest, if romanticized, examination of the American class system in the late 1970s and early 1980s, and the eternally confounding politics of acceptance and exclusion. Oh, you know, that's a world that Fred Durst is well-versed in, as he was, like, scratching tattoos in a backyard in Jacksonville. <laughs> hmm I didn't see a lot of rolling in this, in this trailer, but yeah. Bunch of rich kids punching each other, but yeah. Boarding school, but yeah. <laughs> Have you seen this film? I've never seen this film. Okay. Well, with the with the forty eight percent Rotten Tomatoes and the fifteen thousand dollar box office haul, I'd say this was his peak as a filmmaker. You're not that far off. He would get another. Uh, he would get another at bat. So, the next year, he directed the feel good comedy The Long Shots, starring Family Values tour mate Ice Cube. He was a hero who lost his way. I used to play football in high school. I was pretty good, too. She was a loner who didn't belong. Is this like the nerd table or something? <laughs> Mom, everyone hates me. Curtis, I need your help. It's about your niece, Jasmine. What's wrong with her? I really need somebody to hang out with her. I don't even like kids. That reached for their dreams. Don't nobody got heart like we got heart. We're going to play fast, we're going to play loose, and we're going to play for each other. The Long Shots. I wouldn't be caught dead playing football. That's because if you were playing football, you'd be dead. <laughs> <laughs> so now right. you've you've seen the entire movie right now in that. Do you do you think that Fred Durst directs in his Limp Biscuit voice? Do you think he's like, camera left, camera right, <laughs> reset, action, take a look around. <laughs> rolling, rolling, rolling. Oh. <laughs> Um, so on Rotten Tomatoes, The Long Shots actually has a 61% approval rating. Oh, uh, look at that. Yeah. But on the critic side, uh, it has about the same as The Education of Charlie Banks. Mm. This too was a box office flop, grossing $11.8 million against a $23 million budget. Oof. I can't believe it's, it pulled in that much money, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that barely probably covered Ice Cube's paycheck. I mean, it's Mighty Ducks about football. I mean, you know. Yeah, it's Air Bud about people. (laughs) (laughs) Now, 0 for 2, this would be the last we'd hear from Fred Durst, Hollywood director, for the next 11 years. Until 2019, when Durst would reemerge, not only as a director, but the writer of The Fanatic, starring John Travolta. So all three of us have watched this film. I uh, made... Made my poor, lovely girlfriend sit through this one with me. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like Valentine's her, week, no less. Yeah. I brought, I brought her a lovely bouquet of flowers, and uh, I still owe her for this. Yeah, <laughs> yes, you do. So, yeah, let's let's talk about The Fanatic. So uh, I want to quote 
from an article from Deadline, because I do think it's important to tell you guys just exactly how this was funded from Deadline. Quiver Distribution, an indie film company launched this year by former E1 exec Barry Meyerwitz and ex-Lionsgate Films president Jeff Sackman, has firmed up ties with Redbox Entertainment. Yeah, Quiver Entertainment, producers of such films as Nutcracker Massacre and <laughs> Bitch Ass. <laughs> bitch Ass? Tell me more about Bitch Ass. <laughs> bitch Ass the movie? Yeah, it's it's just called Bitch Ass. How did I miss the book? Yeah. Uh, hang on, hang on. I'm, I'm clicking, I'm clicking. Oh, sorry guys, this page could not be found. <laughs> Is that IMDb? No, I'm on uh, Quiver Distribution's webpage. I'm, yeah. I'm just trying to see if there's any movie that they've made that I recognize. And I, they got one called 9-11. <laughs> they have one called Chick Fight. That's probably sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Android Uprising. Skin, a history of nudity in movies. See, that's the kind of that's, that's the yeah. kind of production company I trust that Fred Durst Wait, that's a movie? Is go to. That, is, that is a movie. Uh, also, they have one called The Murder of Nicole Brown Simpson. Ooh. Oh, I've heard of that. Uh, oh, that, is that starring Mina Savari? Yeah, I think it does. Yeah, I uh, I saw a trailer for it, and it looks awful. Yeah. Oh, I I, I, I know. I just they just keep bringing the hits. This one's called <laughs> Undercover Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> Are these real movies or posters in the back of like? Adam Sandler movies like yeah. yeah I'm not making this up no anybody that wants can just head right over to quiverdistribution.com mm. there's easily a dozen more I could have called out but uh, yeah they all they also have a movie called Mighty Aphrodite which I feel like was like an uh, Academy Award winning film from like 20 years ago that mm -hmm. I'm guessing they just remade on a shoestring budget going back to this deadline article the strategic partnership is rooted in the releases of The Fanatic starring John Travolta and Running with the Devil with Nicolas Cage Quiver is co-financing and co-producing projects alongside Redbox Entertainment. The focus will be on talent-driven projects that appeal to Redbox customers with an affinity for action, comedy, and suspense-slash-thriller titles. Such as Bitch-Ass. Bitch-Ass. <laughs> Movies directed at people who are still renting physical discs out of the, the vending machine at a Walgreens, right? That's the red boxes, yeah, right? I mean, their their target audience is the people that go, there ain't even nothing good on Netflix anymore. <laughs> their target audience is me drunk at a 7-Eleven going, oh shit, Transformers, hitting that and then waking up in the bar going, Transmorphers, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Snakes on a train. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, and I mean, it's never a good sign if your business plan in 2020 hinges on the success of John Travolta and Nick Cage. There, but for the grace of God, they go. Mm -hmm. So, um, as I mentioned, uh, this particular project was written by Durst. It was a long time in the making. So, in an interview with John Travolta, Travolta says, About 15 years ago, Fred had wanted to meet me to explore movies and the possibility of film. It took 15 years, but he found a subject matter, says Travolta. We met up in a bathhouse in Van Nuys. <laughs> <laughs> he says he wrote a script with me in mind and submitted it to me it had been so long i thought well could this possibly be after 15 years and then boom it was this incredible script with an incredible vision that he had so specific his vision i just couldn't wait to be a part of it so that would have been like 2003 or 4 when fred durst could actually summon a meeting with john travolta and then they reunite, reunite 15 years later when <laughs> when they needed each other. Yeah. <laughs> John Travolta was entering his second broken arrow era of filmmaking. <laughs> All right, let, let's get into this masterpiece. The film opens with a quote from a character in this movie, Hunter Dunbar, played by the actor Devon Sawa from Final Destination and Casper fame. Well, you don't know that when the movie, I didn't know that. No, I had I no idea. It was like, I literally wrote down who is God. Hunter Dunbar thinking it was like Nietzsche or like. Yeah, I pause it because my girlfriend's like, you should find out who said that quote. And mm -hmm. I, so I type in, Hunt, did you guys all just Google Hunter Dunbar? Yes, immediately. Yes. So you find out <laughs> what that is, right? Like where the name came from? No. Well, no? no. So the Hunter Dunbar expedition. 
Oh, no. uh, was a uh, an expedition into the Louisiana Purchase ordered by Thomas Jefferson by two explorers named Hunter and Dunbar. So I don't know the relevance of why they took those two guys' names and made this. Also, Hunter Dunbar is the name of a art studio in New York City. But anyway, yes, there is a quote from Hunter Dunbar at the beginning of this movie. Mm-hmm. So I paused this stupid thing so I could find <laughs> out <laughs> that it turns out it's just a fictional quote from a fictional character played by a guy that they say is uh, Devin Sawa, but I see no evidence that it's actually but Devin. D- doesn't, I mean, spoiler alert, doesn't Hunter Dunbar not even say that in the movie? Doesn't Moose tell him? That is correct. Hunter- your fans or you're no one without your fans or something like yeah it's, it's sort of miss- like uh the the you you only miss the shots you don't take wayne gretzky quoted michael scott <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, that's exactly yeah. yeah that's the first big fuck you to the audience that you mm-hmm. get mm-hmm. uh it will not be the last so we get a little bit of opening monologue from a tertiary character named leah which is weird as she gets like five total minutes of screen time, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, and also what the, her monologues don't have any proper cadence. Like, no, there she is. And then there she is. And then like 35 minutes goes by and then she comes back and then she like wraps it up. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. That's ex- <laughs> oh, does she ever? <laughs> <laughs> it's really setting up the introduction of our hero moose. We can try to put off the inevitable. But everything breaks down eventually. Even a person's spirit. But Moose, he's unbreakable. I love how the score and the, just the cinematic overtones make it sound like we're about to enter like a movie about the Holocaust. <laughs> Instead, uh, Kevin, what do you tell him? Uh, why don't you tell him what this movie really is about? Okay, so the fanatic tells the story of a man named Moose, played by Travolta, or as I like to call him, my main motherfucker called Moose Man. <laughs> Throwback to the body count episode. There you go. When you told me we were covering a movie called The Fanatic, I thought we were covering the uh, classic Robert De Niro, Wesley Snipes film, The Fan. Oh, uh, directed uh, by Tony Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, similar films. Mm, Similar films. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So right out the gate, there's two important things to know about Moose. He is an avid collector of B-movie horror ephemera, and he's on the spectrum. (laughs) <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it. Well, how would you describe the characterization of Moose, gang? Uh, Moose looks like a man who has one or two loose turds rolling around in his underpants at all times. <laughs> I describe him as a mean oh, characterization God. of people with emotional disabilities, but, you know, yeah. It's it's it's, it's not good. Thing. No. Yeah, I think the the first note I wrote was um, riding the bus with my sister. Have you ever heard of this film? No. no. It's a made-for-TV movie from, I think, the early 2000s where um, Rosie O'Donnell plays a uh, developmentally disabled woman who rides the bus but literally plays it like someone making fun of a child. And um, it's notoriously bad. But yeah, it was the same type of portrayal. Yeah, uh, this isn't played with any subtlety. And in fact, uh, John Travolta is really proud of this character that he, he created. Uh, and I think he, uh, he really, really enjoyed uh, what he put into this role. It opens with a happy-go-lucky moose riding his scooter around L.A. before getting to Hollywood Book and Poster, a store specializing in all the stuff that moose is into. Collectibles, autographs, movie props, the usual. Here's his first line of dialogue. Hey, Aaron. Chocolate mousse. I can't talk too long. I got to poo. <laughs> I think, I think Jillian, my girlfriend, just said, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't. <laughs> so I actually can relate. So as a young man, every time... I got to go to the comic book shop. I would get so excited that I would basically have to piss my pants every time. <laughs> and I just, I can relate to Moose as a man that's just fucking stoked to go to the, like this movie prop shop. 
Yeah, like, I blame the scooter. <laughs> oh, that too. Vibrations. I can't imagine Moose also has like the healthiest, most balanced diet. No, no. This is a man yeah. who subsists on the on the uh, individual packets of Cheez Its. Like, but yeah, it's like, like fifty lunchables of them. and lunchables and like cereal. Yeah. Oh, the cheese and crackers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But before Moose goes to take a shit, he talks shop with the owner. And we find out that not only has Moose scored an invite to the cast and crew rap party for the new Hunter Dunbar flick, Friday Night Killer, but Hunter himself will be making an appearance at the store for a book signing of which Moose was unaware. Overcome with excitement, he digs into his ear canal with his finger and he pulls out some gunk and he eats it. (laughs) I would... Hilarious. Through the whole movie, he does this, like, touch the ear and smell the ear kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The entire movie. Moose is stoked, but he needs the perfect thing for Dunbar to autograph. And that's when the shop owner shows him the vest. Special things at home, but I need something super special. Well, I mean, you've had your mitts on just about everything we got. We got those lobby cards from the Carver 1, 2, and 4. Somebody fucking stole three. The British Quad for Ghost Train. You are such an idiot. Ghost Train is so typical. I need something. I need I need something rememberable. Is that a word, Moose? This idiot still has this vest. <laughs> Space vampires. <laughs> is it still $800? This- <laughs> yes. The space vampire's vest. I really don't know what the fuck is going on with this vest. Yeah, it's it's like a black leather vest that has like a Rico spelled out in it and like bottle yeah. caps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like disco stew. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, they never explain what Rico is. They, yeah. I assume that's his character's name from Space Vampires, I, the movie that was apparently. I mean, it seems like they ripped it from Starship Troopers. I mean, was that was that a, did they ape that yeah. from Rico? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say Space Vampires appears to be filmed in the same alleyway behind the building that he punches uh, <laughs> Moose in later. <laughs> um, so they haggle over the price, and wouldn't you know it, Moose gets the vest, which he immediately puts on backwards mm-hmm. to take a selfie with the vest. And then he rides his scooter home with a vest um, p- put on backwards that says Rico in bedazzled Whatever the fuck. We also get these little segues at this point that are like uh, illustrations, like yeah. a very specific drawing Ooh. style of different scenes that Moose is doing, uh, to which we wondered if Wes Borland somehow mm-hmm. did the artwork. But he did. That. No, he did. He did. He did. It said in it the really credits, was it said animation by Wes Borland. Yeah. All right. Well, it looks like Wes's stuff. So, all right. Cool. Oh, and the, the character, Aaron, the uh, shop proprietor. Yeah. Uh, he's. Played by actor Josh Richmond. I use the word actor very uh, loosely. He was an 80s teen actor who I recognize because I'm a huge fan of the movie Thrashing, the uh, Josh Brolin skateboard movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. He apparently used to manage Dead Sea. Seriously? Yeah. Man, okay. Bringing it all together. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay, so let's fast forward to the rap party. Moose is super nervous and he practices his witty banter and like lines in the mirror before showing up to this alley where Leah makes her first on-screen appearance. Now we know who this person is. <laughs> the narrator. Yeah. Yes. Also, let's not forget she's a paparazzi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a uh uh that that's how she makes her living. That's kind of like the world that Moose operates in is uh you know this yeah, this Los Angeles Hollywood underground. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So surprise they're not invited and Moose didn't bring bolt cutters, instead opting to bring <laughs> a pair of scissors, thinking they were the same thing. So Yeah. Yeah. We get a oh no, Moose. Oh Moose. Yeah, big lovable galoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so over the fence, Moose goes solo, and now he is in. And it's about as uncomfortable as you can imagine with Moose being Moose. He walks up to the bartender and asks for a strawberry milkshake. <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. Mo- Mogan is not amused. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's like a movie for eight-year-olds. Like, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, the security finds him. They throw his ass out. 
And uh, the following day, Leah shows up angry about how Moose conducted himself, but they patch things up and life goes on. Right, I look angry that that he acted inappropriately after she helped him break into an event that neither one of them was invited to. Yes, like you made me look bad after I chucked you over the fence. Well, yeah. is is she housing him? No, no, no. He has okay. a baller apartment. He does. Okay. <laughs> I thought I thought there was some sort of connection where he was living in her home. No, no, but, because okay. she knocks on the door to get into okay. his place. Okay. And yeah, let's talk about Moose's apartment for a minute. <laughs> yeah, so Mo- Moose lives in just like a sweet loft apartment just laden with like movie artifacts and posters. He's got a fucking popcorn machine pop- in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's amazing. It's like, like LED lights all over the place. Yeah, at a, an LA rent. It's like yeah, it's it's amazing. It's amazingly oh, outfitted. Yeah. Nary a stucco ceiling in sight. Yeah. So at this point, you may be wondering exactly what the fuck it is Moose does for a living. Anybody want to take a stab at this one? Well, yeah, he stands outside of a man's Chinese theater dressed like an English Bobby. Victor- yeah, like yeah, a, Bobby. A Victorian era police officer. Putting a mustache over his beard. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah and uh, yeah, tries to, uh, you know, take pictures with tourists for tips. That's, yep. that's how Moose affords his uh, apartment. That's, yeah. Apparently they do. Yeah. Here's a scene of Moose getting into character. Oh, no. God damn it. Poppycock. Poppycock. Hello. Welcome to all. Welcome to Hollywood. Welcome to Hollywood. Where dreams are made of. Christ, my dreams are made of. Where dreams are made yeah. So fuck you, John Travolta. <laughs> fuck you, Fred Durst. Like. <laughs> yeah, so not only that, but on the strip there are bully pickpockets like uh, th- there's this guy who only owns two tank tops. <laughs> he's, he's like a street mag- magician, but he's not even that because he just shoves a nail through his nose and starts bleeding everywhere. Yeah, and then he's got like a lackey that picks everybody's pocket while he's bleeding. After a few hours of that, it's off to the book signing, and Moose gets the VIP treatment by being escorted to the middle of the line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, he just... Cuts in front of a bunch of people with like, yeah, just close enough to be cut off before he gets exactly. So, just as he's next in line with his uh book and his Rico vest, this happens. Excuse me, Mr. Dunbar. Yeah. There's a woman named Brenda out back. She says she needs to speak to you. She says it's important. I don't know. Okay, all right. All right. So yeah, Brenda fucks everything up, and uh, he leaves before <laughs> signing any of Moose's stuff. His ex-wife's making him watch his kid. Yeah, yeah. She has a date. Brenda has a date, so Hunter is now stuck, you know, looking after his son. Boo. But uh, Moose is undeterred, and he follows Hunter uh, to the back alley where he's talking with Brenda, and he just cannot read the room. And you're you're so rad in the warrior. I just don't want you not to sign my stuff. You came to the place, but I'm officially done. But but where do you see the special items that I have? This is space vampires. How would I sign your face with my fucking fist? That's a collector's item you're not going to want to take home. Oh, Hunter Dunbar's kind of a dick. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Moose commiserates with Leah, who then uh, turns him on to the Star Map app which is an app that just tells you where celebrities live. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a great key in moving this movie forward. Yeah, this is divine inspiration for Moose, and he sets in motion his totally not insane plan to get back in Hunter Dunbar's good graces. Step one, write a letter. In all your movies, I love, love, love them, but I waited in line for over an hour to meet you, and you didn't even take the time to give me one autograph. Dear Slim, you still ain't called a row. I hope you have a chance. I ain't mad. I just think it's stuff you don't answer fans. Yeah, yeah. This is basically okay. a stand moment. Are are you aware that that uh, that app is uh is kind of real? No. There is an app called Hollywood Celebrity Homes Tour. It is a self-driving audio GPS guide 
to different celebrities' homes. That just seems like a terrible idea. Sure is. Step two of this plan is to show up at Hunter Dunbar's house, who now happens to be walking up to the front gate with his son at that very moment. Listen, pal, I don't know how you found me, but I don't ever want to see you in this neighborhood again. Okay? You understand? I just want your autograph, Mr. Dunbar. I collect autographs, and I, I, bought, your, I bought your vest from Vampire Killers. It was $300. See? What are you, some sort of freak autograph hound that won't leave me the fuck alone? You can't just come to my private residence looking for me. You want my autograph? I got your autograph. Right there is my autograph. Now get the fuck out of here. So Hunter grabs the pen and writes all over Moose's shirt. I totally get Hunter's initial reaction. Like, that's a super scary experience for anyone. And I think all of his reactions towards Moose are thus far are absolutely warranted. But then it just takes a hard left and he turns into a prick for no reason. Yeah, I don't know. I'm still kind of with him. Like, fuck this guy. Get off my porch. <laughs> <laughs> but then he's just like assaulting him and just, you know, like, I, I don't know. I would just. Sure, well, he has think- to be the villain. I mean, if Fred yeah. and. and, and yeah. uh they want they want Moose to be this hero, even though he's clearly trespassing and showing stalker tendencies, which let's not use the word stalker because Moose fucking like hates it. it. <laughs> yeah, Moose is not a fucking stalker. What Moose is, is a man of principle. He owes Hunter Dunbar an apology and by God, he's going to deliver it. So the next day he goes right back and this time he hops the fence. But his plot is foiled by a maid and he drops the letter on the ground and scurries away. He meets up with Leia one more time, who admonishes him for abusing the power of the Star Map app and warns him of the dangers of continuing down this road. This is not well received by Moose, and he storms off, only to be accosted in broad daylight by Tank Top Bully. And it is here that Moose finally snaps. All right, you're going to help me make some fucking cash, bitch. <laughs> would come and chop off your head and it would roll in the street and a truck would squish it and the blood would splatter everywhere and everyone would watch it. Guys, I've spent a lot of time thinking about how to address this. Okay. I finally came upon the clinical definition of unusual feats of physicality that can be demonstrated by neurodivergent people. And it is called hysterical strength. That is what Moose is displaying. Oh, oh, hysterical strength. Hysterical strength. Oh, is that when like, like a mom lifts a car up off her child that's trapped, like that kind of thing? That is an example of hysterical strength. Or maybe okay. when a man named Moose gra- grabs someone by the throat and lifts them off the ground. That, too, could be hysterical strength. So that is what we will be calling this from okay. here on out. I worked really hard to, to get around this one. Uh, Moose has snapped. And uh, back at the Dunbar residence, the maid tries to warn Hunter about a very scary experience that uh, she had. And Hunter, seemingly forgetting everything that has happened up to this point, tries to comfort her with a good old-fashioned dickin'. <laughs> I, I like when she's like, I can't do this. And then he, he who does he call? Does he call like his therapist? He's like, tried to fuck, fuck the maid again. <laughs> also, there's a weirdo at my outside my house. Is it, do we know who he was talking to? No, when he made that phone call? no we have no idea who he's talking to. So anyway. Yeah. So uh, the maid's not having it. And Hunter goes outside. And he treats his gardener like an asshole for a few minutes. And then he pieces out with his son. But. Wouldn't you know it, Moose is back lurking in the bushes. Also, Moose wears nothing but these loud Hawaiian shirts, and yet he's like fucking Michael Myers. He just moves through the shadows. Yeah, and this is this is um John Travolta at his like largest too. So like this is like a big Hawaiian shirt guy. Yeah. yeah. With a backpack and like big clunky like new balances. Oh yeah, he's got the dad shoes. He's got big white new balances. He 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 was shitty to his gardener and cuz that I guess comes into play later. What was but he was he, just like you want to leave early? Fine, fuck you. Leave early or whatever like. First off, the gardener had his headphones in, clearly listening to music, and then mm-hmm. like Hunter's just like 
Fernando, Fernando. And he's like, he takes it out. He's like, oh, sorry, I was listening to music. And Hunter goes, you need to listen better. Oh, <laughs> he's yes, just being an asshole. <laughs> yeah, we, we see that Moose's letter is still on the ground where he dropped it the day before. And finally, the housekeeper sees it and picks it up to read it, which springs Moose into action. Which results in the of mice and men moment. Yeah. <laughs> Don't read it. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Are you okay? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. That's a nosebleed. That that's bad. That's bad. I had a nosebleed. It wasn't fun. But you you fix it. You take paper towels and you put it up your nose like Yeah, so now Moose has a body count. Okay, mm-hmm. so first off, when he's like, stop hitting me, and you hear all those like punching sound effects, she's hitting him with a handkerchief. So I'm not sure <laughs> how those striking sounds come. But anyway, then he go off and like cl- double closed fists, smash- smashes her in the face. She falls back against like a bird bath, and she's she's dead. Yeah. And so blood's coming out of her nose, and then you heard Moose's. Uh, it's a nosebleed. Mm-hmm. So after uh, killing this woman, Moose heads into Hunter's house where he helps himself to some food. He reads a script on the shitter. He smells the teeth. (laughs) He smells the toothbrush and then he uses the toothbrush and then he watches some home movies until Hunter arrives home. And this is where Moose has hysterical stealth because he (laughs) (laughs) he hides under the kid's bed and is completely quiet until Hunter is later on knocked the fuck out on sleeping pills and booze in his easy chair. Oh, and not only booze, it's three generic cans that just say IPA. IPA. Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so Moose naturally, you know, fresh off a murder and hiding under a bed, he does what anyone would do, and he takes some selfies with uh, an unconscious Hunter. And then he falls asleep in the chair beside him until the next morning when he sneaks out. So fast forward to the next scene and we get Hunter and his son in the car when this exchange happens. Oh, the best part of the movie. You okay with some music? You like a little limp biscuit? Sure. You like a little biscuit? Yeah. Yeah? Nice and loud. I used to listen to this back in the day. This is hot. Oh, my God, that is nice. That is nice. Uh, here we go, baby. <laughs> yeah. Have we determined if that's a real Limp Bizkit song? It or is. That, was, it it is. is. Okay. that song is called The Truth off of the Limp Bizkit album, The Unquestionable Truth Part 1, a.k.a. the album that doesn't have Wes Borland on it. Ah, perfect. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Did you see who the... Uh the songwriting uh, credit was to no it says written by limp biscuit and sammy siegler hardcore legend sammy siegler played in youth of today played in um glass jaw played in rival schools and played very briefly in limp biscuit all right wow yeah during this era of limp biscuit. yeah 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 i once heard it, him uh, on a podcast say that uh he got the offer of from Fred Durst by saying, so you want to be in the LB? (laughs) (laughs) So then Hunter sees Moose walking down the street and he he really lays into him. Uh, I won't, you know, basically every time that Hunter and Moose connect, Hunter just becomes more and more of an asshole. It's more of this, like, I better never see you in my neighborhood again. Yeah. Meanwhile, that dead housekeeper is just chilling in the backyard. Just laying there. (laughs) Just laying there. <laughs> and uh yeah, Moose Moose is losing it. He's just gone to another level. Well let me tell you something, Mr. Dumbbar! Mr. Dummy Bar! You have not! I repeat, you have not made the best choices! Jesus. Ghost train was so stupid! It was so stupid! And who stuck by you the whole time? Me! I did! And, like, in this scene, Travolta has, like, snot bubbles. Uh, dude, no, dude, this is this is John Travolta after the scene was, like, fucking nailed it. 
It was just, you could hear a pin drop on set. Everybody was just, Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. All right, everybody. Rap. Fucking nailed it, Travolta. John, John, come here. Are you okay? Are you okay? Do you need to talk? All right. You went you went to that place, man. You went to that place, John. <laughs> that was that was uh Fred Durst, like Ross Robinson make the actor cry in the booth moment. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> Yeah, so uh Moose, he burns all of Hunter's shit, including the Rico vest. So we know that he's really uh you know, there's no coming back now. Mm. And then we entered the third and final act of this opus. No, the dead the dead girl is still in the backyard. Oh yeah. Meanwhile, made still just dead as no, fuck. No mention of of dead. A lot of people were paying attention to this backyard. There was a lot of activity there, and now there's just a dead body and nobody has said shit. So, hard cut to Hunter asleep in bed, slowly coming to, only to discover wadded up tissues stuffed in his mouth and his arms and legs bound on the floor. A dead moose, or so Hunter thinks. Help! <laughs> you jigsaw came over. Mooses faked his death, and then quotes says saw, and then quotes Bill Paxton from Aliens. <laughs> and here's where the torture begins. First. Moose puts on a Jason mask and runs into the room with a knife and starts stabbing Hunter. But it's a prop knife. It's a prop knife, yeah. At this point, I couldn't tell what was... Yeah, I was highly what. confused. I like, thought I was he like, was, Wait. like, lightly stabbing. Anyways, yeah. Right, but you could tell it was a prop knife, like, when they zoomed in on it. But, like, he acted like he was being stabbed, so it was just horrible direction by Fred Durst. Moose then, inspired by Reservoir Dogs, uh, leads <laughs> Hunter to believe that Moose is about to set him on fire. <laughs> I uh, I watched Reservoir Dogs today. Did you? So, did didn't age well? No. No. Well, <laughs> it's it's a tough watch. We'll just say that. Wow. Real tough dialogue. <laughs> I, yeah. Reservoir has a hard R. Oh. Oh. <laughs> gotcha. Pretty much every scene in the movie, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, the weirdest thing, uh, he starts feeding Hunter honey off of his fingers. And berating him for not having enough good snacks in the house. Hunter needs to find a way out of this. So he's going to use his God-giving acting talent to lure Moose into a false sense of security by giving him the one thing he wants. The friendship of Hollywood actor Hunter Dunbar. We'll go wherever you want. I'll call my manager. He'll get us a table wherever you want to go. And when it's all done, we'll get a big bowl of chocolate ice cream. Strawberry. Strawberry ice cream. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Strawberry ice cream, Moose, of course, of course. And then and then we'll come back to my place and throw in a couple of, of my action films and watch them on the HD TV. <laughs> yeah, does that sound good, man? I love you. Oh, I love you. You, me, a couple of action flicks and and some strawberry ice cream, <laughs> right? This is a weird scene. About to get weirder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So uh, Moose loosens the restraints and Hunter immediately punches Moose in the face and blows his hand off with a shotgun. He just pulls. But it's like it's not. A, it's like a rifle, but it acts like a shotgun when he pulls mm-hmm. the trigger and it's hiding behind his head in the nightstand. <laughs> like, was it behind his pillow? Where, who sleeps with a rifle in their bed? <laughs> and we're talking like a great like an M1 like bolt action fucking rifle yeah and like it blows like it blows the fingers clean off of one of moose's hands yes yes he's left with just a little nub with the tables turned hunter then just starts like firing off like rounds near moose's head like blowing out his eardrums and then he takes like this fucking dagger (laughs) (laughs) fucking stabs him in the eye but, like, not hard enough to murder him. Like, no. he pulls his stab. So he doesn't, like, stab straight into Moose's face. He just kind of, like, pokes his eye out a little bit. <laughs> yes. yes. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. I just like the movies. Oh, my God. 
so this act of like profound violence uh, and Moose's pathetic wailing, it brings Hunter back to reality and he's shaken to the core by his actions. So he wraps up Moose's hand. And he just sends him on his merry way. He just opens mm-hmm. the door. He's like, out you go, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so the whole film wraps up with a badly wounded Moose just stumbling down Hollywood Boulevard before being found by Leia. Like, who yeah, knows why? Randomly. Also, we forgot the part where she accosted him earlier because he would, those pictures that he took with Hunter and Hunter's mm-hmm. house, he apparently posted on his social media. Oh, so yeah. So Leia's like, bro, you put this on your social. And he's like, well, now your ass is blocked. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Meanwhile, the police finally arrive at Hunter's and find the housekeeper. And with them is the gardener who mm-hmm. goes, who just nods knowingly and points at him and goes, that's him. We don't know where the gardener went, when the gardener found this body. If he found this body, did he not hear all of the commotion inside? The gunshots? Yeah. So Hunter walks out the door covered in Moose's blood, and the cops just take him into custody for the murder of the maid, who has very little blood on her body. Yeah. No, and is like several days old. Like, yeah. yeah. And like, Ultimate, so ultimately, like Moose gets away and Hunter has to pay the price, except that would literally never happen. Like, yeah, right. DNA, home security cameras, street cameras, or maybe just like the, the fact that Moose has to go to the hospital. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Meanwhile, the, the real end of the story is that Hunter Dunbar is released, absolved of all crimes, and Moose ends bludgeoned to death over a pudding cup. <laughs> I can't. Does the movie end with the narration of Leia saying, like, don't worry about Moose? Like, he may have lost his hand in his eye, but to him, it's just a badge of honor. Yeah. yeah and, and then, and then this goes to black, and he goes, John Travolta is, is Moose. <laughs> and he's still, meanwhile, being like, oh, we're on the walk of fame. Oh, Louise Fletcher has a star here. She's a bad nurse. She was that was the nurse in uh, Wonderful yeah. the Cuckoo's Nest, like yeah, yeah. Who I Google does not have a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so nobody learns anything of value. It just feels like they like uh, wrap. Oh, this it. was a vehicle for John Travolta to, to try and win an Oscar, and oh. instead, <laughs> instead, I don't know. I don't know what this was a vehicle for at for anyone involved whatsoever. I don't know who wanted what anyone's idea of like how this was going to be a good movie, you know, anyways. Well, as a final fuck you to the audience, the whole affair is dedicated to Bill Paxton. Well, do you know why? No. His son played the uh, pickpocket. Really? Yes. No way. Tank top yeah. guy? No, the uh, not the tank top guy. The tank top guy's henchman. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. Damn. This was in the IMDb trivia. <laughs> so how did this movie do? Well, <laughs> The Fanatic appeared in 52 theaters over Labor Day weekend. On its opening day, the film grossed a whopping $3,152 for a location average of roughly $60. In some theaters, it grossed $10 or less. The highest gross was $736 at Arena Cine Lounge in Hollywood. You want to hear a quote from Devin Sawa about his experience on this film? Yes, I do. All right. uh, This is from Inverse.com. Devin Sawa. I'm one of the only people in the history of John Travolta that gets to work with this John Travolta, Sowell Humberbrags. This Travolta stayed in character the whole time. People were supposed to call him Moose. Fred talked to him as if he were Moose. Sawa says he only ever saw his co-star in wardrobe, whereupon he'd sit in his chair and rock back and forth nervously. It was a treat to see a legend in that state and dedication and focus. I found that while Googling how much exactly Devin Sawa was paid for his role in the film, and I just can't find it. Was it more than $3,153? I I imagine. Oh, my God. You know, some days you get to be with uh, Daniel Day-Lewis thinking he's Abraham Lincoln uh, the entire day, and some days you get John Travolta pissing his pants and rocking back and forth in a Hawaiian shirt. You know, acting's weird like that. 
This is a box office and critical bomb. On RogerEbert.com, the writer Brian Talaricio wrote, The fanatic hates fans. It hates actors. <laughs> it hates tourists, shop owners, and servants. It really, really hates autistic people. And it hates you. It's a movie that thinks you're an idiot. Somehow you won't see through its shallow provocations, illogical behavior, and vile misanthropy. And I, I don't disagree. This is a hateful piece of cinema. Oh, absolutely. This is, I, I imagine that like the inspiration is how actors and famous people talk about the people they meet at conventions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. And like, let's be honest, we all know a moose. Yeah, like, yeah and he, in real life, he wears a t-shirt that says Tool on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the film uh, was nominated for three Golden Raspberry Awards for Worst Picture, Worst Director, and Worst Actor, which John Travolta won in a dual win for his role also in the film Trading Paint. So John Travolta somehow simultaneously won two Razzies in the same year for Worst Actor. Oh, my God. Did you know he actually went on a four-year consideration campaign for this? Like, to the Oscars? Oh, shit. Yeah. He had posters made up like, John Travolta is Moose. He actually ran this as a four-year consideration. Well, that rules. I'm going to leave you guys with this. So the original title of this film was Moose. And... If you read a lot of like the press stuff, it says that this was a real life encounter that Fred had with a fan that was like really frightening. And if you go through all that, like it's the same story over and over, except in some places. Now, I found a quote from Fred that uh, talks about his experience and why he wrote this film. And he says, there's a guy I met. He's an autograph collector, and he's nothing like the moose in the movie, but he was kind of quirky and different and really obsessive and outrageous. He was way more aware and clearly not a killer or anything, but I just always thought he was interesting. I took an interest in him and befriended him. I saw how he operates and how he inspired me to write this character in the movie. I tried to find out more, and I came across this raw footage from the YouTube channel, The Street Interviewer, where Fred is signing autographs, and I caught this bit. Well, uh, the movie was inspired by, by one of you guys. Okay. It sounds like it. Can you tell us who? Is, is there like a particular person? The guy named Cheesecake? Fred the Black? <laughs> no. You guys know that guy, Mike? Which Mike? Mike. Um, I gave him his nickname, Moose. Oh, Mike Moose. I don't know, but I bet you I find out who he is in an hour if he's a real... So now I know that it's Mike Moose. Guys, I fucking found him. <laughs> no way. Hmm. I would like you to meet Michael Mutsatsos. Oh, no. In my research, I found out that Mike is more than just a fan. So uh, Mike has been in the industry for quite some time. He was on the original 81 Broadway cast of Cats. He was a baseball fury in The Warriors. Uh, yeah, he's done a bunch of stuff. Durst and Moose go way back. In 2011, Durst signed his first ever TV deal with CBS and CBS TV Studios. Under the pact, he had partnered with CBS TV Studios on a half-hour comedy project, which he would star in and produce. The untitled comedy, sometimes referred to as Douchebag, has received a script commitment. It centers around a rock legend looking for balance between his high-profile lifestyle and a family. I've looked for everything I can on Douchebag, and all I found was this one little sizzle reel. <laughs> this season, Fred Durstay. Oh, hey, I gotta go. My son just got out of school. I have pictures to prove it. See? You were there. Oh, my God. Yeah. Celebrity stalker. <laughs> and that's your mom, right? This was the view at the Arclight? Yeah. This was at the Hollywood Homicide premiere? Fuck Owens. This is me and Tom Cruise. Yeah. You just put yourself in there. This no, is at the Batman here. premiere, okay? This is totally photoshopped. No, it's not. Oh, I'm, Moose, I'm, I'm keep sorry. your composure, okay? I'm, so, I'm sorry. Jesus Christ, these cameras. So. Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is like Fred Durst wishing he was in Californication. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is like a... Um, a Curb Your Enthusiasm style uh, where it's Fred, but he's interacting with people like Aaron Lewis and Dwight Yoakam. And and Moose is dead in the middle of it in mm -hmm. a scene with Fred and Dwight Yoakam. And they even introduce him as Moose. 
So Mm -hmm. there he is in the middle of the whole thing doing what Moose does. So then Durst actually has production credits on two of his films, Stalkerazzi, uh, of which he was the executive producer in 2013, and Barker Daniels, of which he was the producer in 2015. And if there's any doubt that Moose was the inspiration, here's some photos of him on set with the cast. Whoa. And sure enough. So here it is day one on Thursday, the first day of filming uh, Moose. And uh, right now I'm just hanging out and chilling out in uh, Fred's trailer. And uh, we'll see what happens next. Keep you guys posted. Wow, so it's an exploitation film, too. Yeah, oh, it absolutely is. Apparently, Moose also had a speaking role in this film that was cut. When Travolta is uh, waiting to get his vest signed, Moose was supposed to be one of the people in line who's like, hey, look out. And he was cut. And scanning the credits and everything else tied to this movie, there's not one actual reference to Michael Musatsas, of Moose himself. His name appears nowhere. So a while later, Moose starts popping up in these random forums, leaving comments on articles. Here he is on QueerHorrorMovies.com on a review called The Fanatic is Empty and Offensive. At the very bottom, there's one comment. Mm. And it says, Hello, I am the real Moose. No, not on the spectrum. I wrote this film in 2006 with Fred. He rewrote it, now says it's about a real-life stalker. Contact me if you want the real story. I am an actor-slash-filmmaker and gay male. I have been friends with Fred for 12 years. He cut me out. Michael Moose Musatsos. Holy shit. So that's one. Yeah. Here he is on Joe Blow. Moose is at the bottom saying, Greetings, this is Michael Musatsos, the real Moose. No, I am not on the spectrum. I am an actor-filmmaker. I wrote the original script in 2006 with Fred. We were friends with 12 years, uh, blah, blah, blah. It is clearly a stealing with no inspired by or based upon by. I went to Alabama last year. I met John. I had a part in the film. It's now cut out. I don't know why John will play it as on the spectrum. I was a memorabilia collector for 10 years when I met Fred. So... That is the story of the real moose. Interesting. I, uh, so one thing that we left out is um, how often Leah and Moose refer to celebrities as the films. Do you uh, either of you remember what no. term they used? No, I do not. Celebutard. Oh, celebutard. And over again. Huh. Celebutard. Jeez. Way to way to go! Way to be a celebutard, Fred. That all kind of brings it together of just this <laughs> horrible film being, you know, stolen from somebody, and then just uh, yeah, no, it is empty and hateful, and yep, did not enjoy. <laughs> no, no, worst, worst, worst two hours I've spent this week. Yeah. <laughs> Even better than getting polyps ripped out of your nose. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, and I had like a camera with a drill in it up in my noggin, and I'd, I'd do that again rather than watch this piece of shit. <laughs> No, I mean, I was I was going to make the comment earlier that like when you make a movie, you want, you know, you want to at least find some level of identification with the audience. Like Mm -hmm. you have to have some sort of redeemable quality in whoever your hero is, even if it's an antihero or something. And there was a screenwriting book called Save the Cat where it's, it's like have your character do something noble. So that, you know, the audience will identify with them later in the film. This has no moment with any character whatsoever, the entire film. (laughs) It's a film of awful people, of just awful, tragic people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's zero comic relief. No redeemable Uh... character. Well, I mean, it depends if you're a horrible person or not. Yeah, that's true. And what you find funny. So, yeah. I don't know. I, I I think the ending is what really did for me, where they're like, they all got away scot-free. Moose just went on moosing around. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a real piece of shit, guys. It's a real terrible film. Any parting thoughts before we get on to what you're listening to? Yeah, I just, uh, Kevin, Kevin's really on one uh, about Fred Durst lately. I don't know if Fred pissed at his Cheerios or what the deal is, but... Holy shit. I mean, I already did not have a good opinion of Fred Durst, and now it's even worse. I mean, you know, thanks. Yeah, I I don't know what it is. It's just, uh, I I swear to God, we will uh, leave the Fred Durst train here for a while. But uh, uh, I thought it was uh, definitely 
important to look at the visionary director that he is. Well, thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. So, Mogan, you're our guest on this episode. So what have you been listening to? A friend of mine passed away this week. He was huge in the San Diego music scene, and he used to be in a band called Fluff. His name was O. And um, I don't know, he was friends with everybody. And so Fluff have an album on streaming and uh, the song The Ocean is on it. And so I'd recommend that song. That was The Ocean by Fluff, and uh, rest in peace, O. All right, Nick, what you got? Uh, yeah, uh, I can make a music recommendation, but I'll just save it for the next show. Um, I, uh, like a lot of people, am like pretty infatuated right now with the uh, HBO show The Last of Us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is like you know based on the video game, and it, and it is kind of a zombie show. Um, but for those of you that are like not into video games and not into zombie shows, like the overarching theme of The Last of Us is love and relationships and how love changes different uh, decisions that people make and, you know, what people are willing to do for those that they love and because of those that they love. And I think it's like the greatest television I've seen probably since Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. uh, but it's uncomparable to that. It's its 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 own thing. I would encourage you to take a spin around and at least get through the third episode. Uh, if you watch the third episode and you hate it go ahead and send me a message because i i would know why i suppose <laughs> yeah I, I i know exactly the episode <laughs> there's only one reason that. yeah um oh. <laughs> but uh, yeah check it out uh and also um it was a pretty sweet video game and it has a killer uh score mm-hmm. but it is just like a spanish kind of a instrumental uh, acoustic guitar kind of haunting uh soundtrack uh that's pretty sweet but anyway go watch the last of us Awesome. My what I've been listening to lately kind of piggybacks off what you were saying, Nick. So um, recently on Game Pass, they released this video game Far Cry 5. I've never played any of the Far Cry series, but uh, I got into this and it speaks to a lot of the things I'm into, which is mainly um, killing religious extremists. Uh, no, it's uh, it takes place in uh, this uh, beautiful Montana background where uh, this cult called Eden's Gate has taken over the town, and uh, they've got this old doomsday prophecy, and you go on all these missions and stuff, but the cult also has their own music, and it slaps. It's so good. So uh, I looked into who did all the uh, scoring and uh, songwriting for this, and it's this guy, Dan Romer, who had done the score for... Uh, the show Maniac, uh, if you remember that with Jonah Hill, and I absolutely loved that score. So they released all of the songs that they had done for Far Cry. I am going to play for you The World is Gonna End Tonight by the Hope County Choir off of the video game Far Cry 5. Yeah, uh, 
All right. So, Mogan, do you have any pluggables? Do you have anything? Any part, parting words? Any thoughts here? Fredder sucks. I don't know. <laughs> yep. All right. Thank you, as always, for joining us. Nick, where can they find us? Uh, we are on uh, Instagram at days underscore of underscore. Nope, that's not nope, it at that all. is not it. <laughs> we are on Instagram at days of the new. That is D-A-Y-Z of the new N-U. And you can find me, Nick, on Instagram at Nick underscore the underscore knife. You can find me on Instagram at K-J-D-E-L-U-R-Y. Uh, we will be back next week with a mosh pit. And then I swear to God, we will start doing album reviews again. <laughs> <laughs> See y'all next week. Days of the New is a production of the Palm Springs 86. You were there.